Hi, everyone. This is Ron Hirschberg, and thanks for joining us for our final episode of this year. So as you may know, Healing Invisible Wounds is what Homebase is all about ever since we started in 2009. As we approach two years since the entire planet was affected by a global crisis, it's safe to say that COVID has really been a common enemy. And today I just looked up the latest number. More than 814,000 people have died in the U.S. and almost 5.5 million people worldwide. Homebase Nation was born right before this invisible virus changed the world. And in this episode, we wanted to visit some of the words of solace and strength that our inspirational guests have offered us in the Homebase community. When we began this show, our team was really struck by the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger. He writes that humans not only survive but thrive best as a community. They can become most resilient and feel a sense of belonging when they're actually in a crisis mode, ironically. So it made me wonder why that sense of belonging might not really come naturally without stress or adversity. We talk about the irony of connectedness through trauma, through natural disasters, through domestic terrorism. How do we do it without that? How do we connect without the bad stuff? Right. I don't think you can as intensely as you do when you're facing adversity. I mean, evolution's an efficient system, and humans are efficient. We're psychologically and socially efficient animals. And so there's an enormous benefit that comes with individualization, right? Like, so the individual, freed up of the demands of the group, can do and perform and invent incredible things. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is when there's no crisis and there's plenty of food, right? People attend to their sort of individual pursuits, whatever those may be. And then when there's a crisis, all of a sudden, we all know that our survival only comes from being part of a group, right? Groups survive, individuals don't. So people put their energy into the the needs of the group. And as soon as the crisis is over, it's very adaptive in evolutionary terms to go back to your individual concern. It seems unreal to me that just a few months after we met with Bob Woodruff to record an episode, he was reporting live in Wuhan, China for ABC News at the epicenter of the outbreak of COVID-19. We thought back to the conversation we had with Bob and his wife, Lee, about their initial journey to China in the 1980s that was really the start of a career in journalism that would eventually bring him to cover many conflicts, including the war on terror. This was where, in 2006, he experienced a traumatic brain injury from an IED blast, after which, unexpectedly, Lee and Bob Woodruff would go on to help thousands of service members and veterans suffering from these same wounds. You know, yeah. I would not have lived if this happened just a couple years earlier than, than, than I did when this happened to me. I was hit by an IED about 20 feet off to the left. The, the, the rocks, the, first of all, the air just knocked me out then followed by the rocks and the and the metal, pierced through, broke my scapula on the back. It, it pierced through, this shattered the less part of my jaw. Some of these little rocks went all the way through past the artery and the veins and it implanted itself on the carotid artery on the other side. Part of my, uh, I'm, I'm blind in the upper right-hand corner of my eyes. Uh, some of them actually went in front of my eyeball, some of these little tiny rocks and implanted themselves in the left part of my nose. And then I got about 50, 37 minutes later, they got me after two stops, got me to Balad, and they mm. removed the left part of my skull for a cr you know, craniectomy. So I should not have lived at all. And the assumption was I was not going to live when we got on that helicopter, head off to the Bethesda Naval. 
this is an amazing advancement in medicine. It's the only good thing somewhat. But anyway, what I was going to say is that when I got that craniectomy and I was rushed around, if this was in, in New York, they would, they've never seen an IED explosion. They hadn't done four of them, four surgeries a day as they had been doing out there on the sands of Iraq. So whether injury is visible, invisible, or both, transferring that kind of energy to something positive as an inspiration is something Marine veteran and Paralympian Kirsty Ennis has been able to do as a role model, following a new purpose and her own reimagination. I mean, even looking at my life, like people can see me now climbing Everest or, you know, receiving an award or whatever it may be, and they just see these amazing, glorious pictures, but they don't see the dark days, the hard days, you know, having to put my leg on in the morning and how miserable that is. Like, especially in the beginning of my recovery, it was hard for me to want to do things for myself. And I think that's what a lot of people who are going through these transition periods or people that are trying to repurpose themselves, they feel like they, that they are alone. But the moment that I turned around and said, hey, you know, obviously there's my support system who, were, who was there to try and help me. Mm. There was, you know, the men and the women that I served with or their, their families or whoever. Um, you know, I'm not in this alone. And if I can't do it for myself, then I need to do it for other people. Right. Um, and I do that every day, you know, whether it's through my foundation or again, my family or my friends or whoever, if I can't do it for myself anymore, I have to do it for other people. And I guess that's where it really comes down to, to healing together. So when service members come home, it's not always that easy to find a new purpose. There's that genuine belonging that comes with a shared mission with a band of brothers and sisters, and it can be very powerful. And also the risking of one's own life to save others is real. And for many non-military citizens like author and CNN anchor Jake Tapper, raising awareness and addressing veteran suffering comes from very personal feelings about sacrifice and service. And channeling that into action, in his case, was through telling their stories. Just hearing these stories, um, hearing the stories from really brave people like Clint Romache, who was later awarded a Medal of Honor, or Ty Carter, the survivor's guilt that they feel. You know, it's not fair. They shouldn't feel any guilt. They're the bravest people I've ever met. Yeah. They did everything they could to save lives in a way that most of us would never even dream of. And they feel guilt. They're going to carry guilt with them their whole lives. And again, just to reiterate, they shouldn't. Um, so it's heartbreaking. And one time I came back from a meal and I told my wife, I am a piece of shit. I'm privileged. I went to a fancy school. I've done nothing to serve my nation. I've done nothing like these guys have done. And she said to me, you can tell their stories, honey. And so that became a very important moment in my life. Like I can't be worthy of these people. I can be only be in debt to them for sharing with me their stories, but I can do everything I can to share their stories. And separately, I can do more to help veterans. This brotherhood, this connection that's so powerful, should not be contingent on culture, color, gender, or background. And Marine veteran and Grammy-winning artist Shaggy served in the Gulf War. He saw combat, he saw camaraderie, and he grew up quickly overseas and thinks back to what he learned during those times. He also mentioned how music can have a way of connecting us and speaking that same language. The point I'm trying to make, yeah, yeah. that's how music is uni uniting it, because yeah. it's uniting through culture. And I like, and what I would love to see, is a lot more interaction with military branches and culture. Throwing huge festivals in aid of the military with a lot of these acts. I don't know an act that wouldn't go in and, and get involved in that, yeah. you know, and kind of mix that generation so that that division 
that you're seeing doesn't infiltrate within the military itself. There was a CEO one time that says that, that this creamer says, I, I don't see color. Everybody I see here is green. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, yeah. yeah. And that's what you got to, it's a brotherhood. Yeah. You know, you got you to gotta get that together. And I think we could do it through music. And I tried to unite it and get it through music with, as much as we can. And during this relatively short time of COVID, which in some way feels like an eternity, the compounding harsh reality of racism continues. These are wounds all around us that have needed to be healed for a long time. And I'll never forget when Spike Lee talked about the utter irony he found while researching his film taking place in World War II. There's a scene in my film, Miracle St. Anna, where a lot of, during World War II, a lot of the training camps where they trained the soldiers were in the South. And in many instances, the POWs, the Nazi POWs who were shipped from Europe, they're, where, well, think about this. World War II, we're trying to fight, this war is about, really, democracy against fascism. African Negro soldiers, as we were called back then, mm-hmm. the arm, we're trying to fight them, and the army is segregated. So you're being trained to fight Nazis, and then you're in training in the South, and the Nazi POWs are sent there, and they're treated better. You're, trying, you're, you're being trained to kill motherfucking Nazis. And you come to you, and they sent to the South to train, and you see the people you were trained to kill are treated better than you are. That's, that's what's crazy. It's like, for these black soldiers, I'm putting my life on the line, and I, I still can't vote. All conflicts, directly or indirectly, bring trauma or loss, and healing the wounds of grief is complicated. Sometimes love is still more powerful than any fancy treatment protocol or medication we have. And the need for community is not only in the battlefield, but around the town or when spouses continue to support each other after loss, as Air Force veteran and founder of TAPS, Bonnie Carroll, told us. Grief is not a mental illness. It's not a physical injury. I wish we could put a bandage on, bandage on it or, or mm. take a pill to resolve it, but we can't. Mm. Grief is a wound of the heart. We only grieve because we love. Mm. So that is really the uh, the price of admission to our organization. If you love someone whose life included service to this country and defense of freedom, we have all the services available for you. This intensive clinical program, the ICP, that Home Base has mm. developed with Mass General uh, through the support of the Red Sox Foundation and Wounded Warrior Project is um, extraordinary. It really is taking these families whose trauma is so intensive. I mean, many of, and primarily now it's been with widows. So that's, that's been the first four cohorts that, right. that we've been able to bring forward. The things that they have witnessed were horrific. And to couple that with the grief of losing a loved one, and then maybe on top of living in a home where there may have been domestic violence, the rage that you talked about, or the tremendous depression that that would also come, it's such a complicated loss. And to think that you are the only one that has experienced mm. that, living in a community of military uh, heroes and service, when it is always about others, and then to to find your own loved one suffered so deeply, mm. and you couldn't stop it, 
it, it's layer upon layer upon layer of complex trauma mm. in addition to the grief. And what this program, the ICP, has done for these young women is to give them a chance to live. That's what this program does, and that's the power of it. And we just are so hopeful and praying that it will expand, be available for others, because there are thousands out there who have been through such trauma, and they deserve this support. As the 20-year war on terror came to a close this past summer, these losses were felt not only by the loved ones, but all around the country and world. In a sense, these invisible wounds have been opened up, and the feelings of service and sacrifice are complex, to say the least. Green Beret and former Seattle Seahawk Nate Boyer summed up his own feelings after having served multiple deployments during that time. To every human that fought for the people of Afghanistan, and especially to those that didn't make it back, your sacrifice matters. It has to. We can't lose hope and believe it was all for nothing. It was for humanity, if nothing more. So yes, the mission has been carried out, the sacrifice has been real, but on returning home, there's still stigma. There's still fear of asking for help. The fact is, it's okay to not be okay. And when Air Force veteran John Hicks showed us the inside of a mask he created at the home base art therapy program, you could almost feel the shards of glass with red paint representing blood dripping off the edges. He described recovery as a process, and that although cure may not be possible, progress and healing definitely is. I've always tried to wear a lot of my experience, you know, you know, like wearing my heart on my sleeve, showing that it's there because I want to be a beacon of hope for these other guys. Not only that it's okay to actually get help, but that it's okay to be broken. And we're, and, and none of us are the same. You know, none of us are exactly going to experience things the same way. Some of us are going to have a hard time and some of us a harder time than others. And, um, and I, and I think that it's important that we're, that we're honest about that. You know, I, I, I think, I think it's kind of like that, uh, Kind of like that river stone or that um or that sea glass, really, you know, where it's always there. The edges will round and erode a bit, and it's going to take time for them to really, really get good and 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 round. So it's still pretty sharp, but you know, it's it's eroding, and I and I and I can feel that progress is being made there. By joining us for these episodes and spending this time with us, you show your support for veterans and military families. Thank you to all of our service members, veterans, and military families for your service, and to all the frontline workers as you continue to trek through this exhausting and trying time to save so many in all of our communities. So if you're wondering how you can help at the end of this year, go to homebase.org donate to learn more. And please know that every dollar goes directly to the expert care at Homebase for our veterans, service members, and military families. This fall, Homebase Nation welcomes producer and editor Lucy Little. We couldn't be happier to work with Lucy and really look forward to bringing you more of her creativity and great content. Thank you, of course, to the core team of our show, Brigadier General Jack Hammond, Michael Allard, Lori Gallagher, Steve Monaco, Mo Roderick, and Taylor Orlando. 
Thank you for listening, and here's to a happy and healthy new year from all of us at Homebase, and we look forward to reconnecting with you for Season 4 in early 2022.